Hi, welcome to Financial Plan and Explained, and I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, and I have with me today one of my associates, uh, Kyle Ryan, also a Certified Financial Planner. Uh, I'm the founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning, and uh, what we do is we do financial planning. And so the purpose of the show is to try to be educational to the viewers. And what we've been doing is a series of case studies and what the case studies are motivated by actual cases, but um, basically taking little bits and pieces from different things that we've encountered and also adding and changing and so on and so forth, just for the sake of providing real life type of situations that hopefully the viewers can say, hey, you know what, that applies to me or this applies to someone I know, because once again, it goes back to being an educational experience. So when we reference names and situations and stuff like that, please note that these aren't actually real. They may be based upon a variety of different things thrown together to kind of, again, present uh, a case study that we can talk about. Uh, we're gonna spend an entire episode today and uh, on a particular case study, which takes on a whole lot of different things. So you look at the six different areas of financial planning, you got cash management, tax planning, risk management, which is also insurance planning, investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. And this particular case study is going to touch upon four of these. Okay, it's gonna to touch upon the tax planning, it's gonna to touch upon the investment planning, the retirement planning, and the estate planning. So it's a terrific case. Uh, are you ready to go? Let's jump in. All right, excellent. Let's do it. So here are the facts of the case. Got a married couple. Uh, the husband is uh, 60 years old and his wife is 55. They're five years apart in age. Uh, they live in New York, which is a high tax state as, as states go. Um, and you know, he makes about $300,000 a year. She makes about you know, $40,000 to $50,000 a year. Uh, he's got about a million and a half in retirement assets roughly a million dollars in regular investment assets. Uh, she has about $300,000 in retirement assets, which mostly uh, she was the beneficiary of an ESOP, but it's treated almost like a 401k for purposes of what we're dealing with today. And she also has a pension, okay? Relatively small pension, calling it $1,000 a month, it's a little bit less than that, but again, uh, the case study. And uh, they also have two kids. Uh, kids are in their 20s and both of them are call it successful, reasonably yeah. successful. And that comes into play when you're doing planning. And you know we do plenty of planning where we have cases like this where quite frankly, we're dealing with four generations. Yeah, you know, when you do generational planning, it's not just one set of the, you know, the different topics of financial planning. It takes into account the estate planning, the tax planning, the retirement planning. So when we do these multi-generational planning, I, I love it because it really ties in all these different pieces. Exactly, and so you look at a case like this where you've got you know, married couple roughly 60 years old, oftentimes they'll have one or two parents still alive, yep. which yep. then poses the potential for inheritance and things along that nature. Yep. And then they've got kids in their 20s, which they're about the point where there's going to be having children. So now, you know, this particular client has parents. There may be issues with tons of issues. I mean, you know, whether it be um, long-term care planning, inheritance, yeah. And then they may have grandchildren. So you're really dealing with four t four different generations absolutely, sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely, and we have yeah. a, a handful of clients that it's that way. And you know, the more complex 
the more fun it is to me. Yeah, so right. let's dive in. So let's, you know, what are their goals? Basically, they're talking about retiring in a couple years. Okay, um, roughly, Dan's age 62, and they're looking at moving out of New York because they're griping about, my goodness, this state is so expensive for taxes. Yep. You hear that from people in New York, by the way. I used to live in New York. And that's, okay. you know, even in general, the one thing I love about these case studies is that, you know, living in New York, and in general, you can take this and apply it to your own self because just take, you know, you live in New Jersey, for example, another high-income tax state. This, these case studies are so wonderful because they apply in so many different areas. So if you don't live in New York and you live in another high-income tax state, this, this easily applies to you. Well, and it's not only that it's a high-income tax state. Um, where it comes into play... It's where you're going. Uh, where you're going, good yeah. point, but how the federal government treats IRA distributions. Yep. And so New York and California and New Jersey, three of the higher tax states, yep. treat 401ks and IRAs the way the Fed does. So what does that mean? That means if you're making 100,000 and you contribute 10% or 10 grand to your 401k, you get the Fed tax deduction of 10 grand, but you also get the state tax deduction. Yep. And where this comes into play is that if you're getting a tax deduction in one state and you're gonna live in that state, well then you factor that in to the pre-retirement and yep. post-retirement tax brackets, which yep. is we do that all the time because that's you know tax efficiency and tax planning, as should you, because you wanna understand, you know, do I do the IRA or do I do the Roth IRA or 401k versus Roth 401k, and we've had episodes on this and we've talked about it a lot, is where am I today for taxes and where do I anticipate I'm gonna yep. be later? Yep. Well, we select in New York State because being a high income tax state, they're in roughly a 6.5% state tax. So if they're planning on moving out of state to another state that has no income tax, on IRAs and 401k distributions, then they're getting a double tax break. Actually, a, a, a tax break on, on the, the front end, end yep. versus not paying taxes on the back end. Now, interestingly enough, Pennsylvania is the reverse. Pennsylvania operates like the Roth. Yep. So if you make 100,000, you contribute 10,000 to your traditional 401k, you're not getting a tax deduction. Now you move from the state level. At the state level, yes. correct. Thank you very much. So then a person like that moves to a state such as New York, California, North Carolina, South Carolina, New Jersey, debatable because it depends on, yep. and, and every state has their own tax rules. Yep. You move to a state that has taxes you on the back end and, and you started with no tax on the front end or no tax deduction, you're actually moving to a higher income tax state. Yeah. So this factors in. So we were playing this game and we're talking about playing this game with the two of them both living in New York. We ascertained and, and take a look at some of our other, we don't have, bra uh, not brackets, but I, I don't show the tax brackets here, but I could tell you that they're hovering between the 24 and the 32% federal income tax bracket. Yep. So let's just say 24. The fact that they're in a 6.5% New York state tax bracket, for every $1,000 that they contribute to their 401k, they're getting a 24% tax bracket from the Fed, a 6.5% tax break from the state, they're getting a 30.5% tax deduction. Yeah. 
And even if they just literally hopped across the border and went to Pennsylvania and paid 24% tax, six and the, they made 6.5%. Yep, just by playing the tax game. Right, exactly. And, you know, always say, it's not how much you make, it's how much, it's you, how much you keep. <laughs> and, and I'm going to throw a, another situation we had in there where, interestingly enough, um, a, a client who resides in Pennsylvania, as weird as this may sound, was actually working in California. Okay, so what yeah. we were doing is we were pulling money out of his IRA in Pennsylvania but contributing. and contributing to his 401k yeah, in California. So it was a wash. But basically, we were able to contribute $26,000 to his 401k in California yeah. and turn around and take the $26,000 out. Of the IRA and PA. And yeah. Fed washed. But we state, just picked up 9%. Uh, exactly. Your state, you're making out. Yeah, yeah. Right. So we just, uh, you know, just say it. Yeah, and you know, it's it, the whole purpose is you know if you have intentions of moving states in retirement or in general, just you know being aware of the state tax laws can really go a long way. And there are websites out there. Um, don't remember off the top of my head, but when I Google search, it always seems to take me to the same website. Yep. You know, out yeah, of South yeah. Carolina yeah, exactly. tax. Yeah. And so once you do that, you can kind of get a feel of what their tax rates are. So that when it comes to planning, again, it's all retirement planning, but again, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Just like you're planning the traditional versus the Roth, do, which do I contribute? What's my tax bracket today versus in retirement? So what we're able to do is, you know, in a situation like this, they can afford to make the contributions to their 401ks. Yep, fully maxing it out. Fully maxing it out. Yep. So between the two of them, they're capable of contributing. 52,000, well, it's 54 now, but this is in the past. Yeah. So yeah. still 50, 52,000, they're contributing that to the 401k and getting that tax deduction both on the federal level than on the state level. However, here's the perfect example of the risk of having too much in retirement assets. And, you know, these are the topics that we talk about, and this is a real big part of retirement planning and estate planning, particularly with the new SECURE Act. Yep. With the SECURE Act, now non-spouse beneficiaries have only 10 years to take money out of the IRA. So for people who have very large IRAs, 401ks, pensions that get rolled over to an IRA, if they're potentially leaving that to their children or one child, you have a potential of jamming that next generation with an enormous tax burden. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, hypothetically, if I were to inherit an inherited IRA, you know, I, in the old rules, I could stretch it out in the entire course of my life, which 50, 60 years, ideally, right, is a lot easier to stretch that money out over 10. And if I'm making, you know, good money in these next 10 years, and I'm saying that 24% tax bracket, and it pushes me to the next one because these distributions, that has to be factored in when you're having these estate planning conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, receiving a million dollars, hypothetically, you can say, well, i got to take it out over 10 years. Yep. Um, so that's $100,000 a year, right? Wrong. Not okay. Quite. Factor in that you're going to have growth. Growth, yep. Okay, and if you factor in a nominal growth, say nominal, but say somewhere between 5 and 7%, you're actually almost having to take out $150,000 a year. Yep. And as I've always preached, been preaching for years, is income tax brackets can only go up from here. 
Yeah. You know, these are these are the lowest income tax brackets that uh, in, in everyone's lifetime, and in all likelihood, my kids and grandchildren's lifetime. Uh, these are the low, take advantage of the low tax brackets because it can only get worse. Yep. So, needless to say, here we go again. We're using the case study as an opportunity to provide talking points on all the stuff that happens. Yeah. So, you know, anytime that we're meeting with clients, it doesn't matter who it is, okay, you want to gather the facts, okay, we threw the facts out there, you gather the facts, but really everything's about what are your goals and objectives, Yeah. okay, and, and it's all about the planning piece. Yeah, and if you don't, you know, if you either have the insight that they want to move to that low tax state or not, if you don't, if you're not privy to that information or their goals, then it's really hard to make planning around that, so you know, just ask yourself, you know, where do you reasonably see yourself in retirement? And then you can start planning accordingly. We ask that all the time. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, and basically that's a function of um, while you're gathering the information of, you know, what their situation is and everything else like that, more important than that is gathering their goals. Yep. You know, what do you want to do? Because when you identify the goals, then what you do is you take a look at, what their financial situation is to be able to say, yay, you can make it based upon, you know, based upon what you have, you're able to accomplish your goals and objectives, or nay, you can't, and it's never a good thing to tell, shoot the messenger, but I can assure you they would rather hear it from us now than find out all of a sudden at age 75, 80 that they don't have enough assets. Yep. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break right here, and then we'll get into uh, some of their goals and objectives and some of the ideas and solutions that we could throw out there that could be applicable to this particular case. So stay tuned. We'll be back with you in just a few moments. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary no-obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, and I'm here with one of my associates, Kyle Ryan. Uh, we're both CFPs, and fundamentally, you know, we like to talk about financial planning from planning perspective. And, you know, again, that's sort of what our mantra is at our firm. Yeah. It all starts with planning. So we're, we're talking about this case study, which we just slapped a bunch of facts in here just for the sake of being able to provide opportunities for discussions of really cool things that you take into consideration when you're doing planning for someone. So what we, like, that we beat that horse to death. Okay. <laughs> well, we know we know Dan and Rachel. They they live in New York. They want to retire in 
in Florida or low another low income tax right. rate. So what else, what else are some of the other? Well, yeah. So we're we're talking about the tax factors. Okay. Yep. So again, what we do is we always start with the goals and objectives. After we have the goals and objectives, then we figure out, okay, what do you got? And does what you have help you accomplish the goals and objectives? And then the third thing we do is say, how can we do this more efficiently? Because you do it more efficiently, then guess what? It improves their chances of meeting their goals and objectives. And efficiency when it comes to planning is also planning for pitfalls yeah. because things happen in life. The only thing that's guaranteed in life is nothing is guaranteed, yep. okay? Although people say death and taxes, but I'm not going there, okay? <laughs> so in their particular instance, they say, well, you know, we want to live on $12,000 a month. And, you know, everybody wants to say, I don't want to give all my money to the government. And I always say, hey, do you, do you want the federal government to be one of your primary beneficiaries? Of course. Because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. If we could give less to the government, more of it comes back to you. So uh, they're also asking, you know, when do you think we should take Social Security? Which is always a question. I'll tell you what, we get accountants constantly sending us clients just asking that question. Yeah. And, and that's an absolutely terrific question. In fact, I've had multiple episodes on it. I have two episodes on just Social Security, on how the system works. But it seems inevitably, when it comes to retirement planning, that becomes an integral component of it. It's not a black and white answer. You can't go on the internet and type in your situation and get a get an easy answer like, yes, you should take it at this age. Right, because there's exactly. so many factors oh that goodness. really go into it. And similar to, Absolutely. you have to gather the facts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and so as it pertains to their Social Security, um, it turns out in this particular instance, um, Dan's is more than double Rachel's. Okay. All right. Which means that in theory, if Dan's Social Security is two thousand dollars a month, Rachel's is less than a thousand. She's going to be jumping up to half. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So she would have to wait until he begins to collect. To okay. begin to collect half of his. Right. To be able to gotcha. collect half of his. Yep. Correct. Yep. But just throw that in there for for yep. instance. Absolutely. So what's the first thing we did? Okay. We, right. All right. So let's go. So we ran software. We run models. And, you know, we kind of massage them based upon their goals and objectives. And one of the things that we've also applied to our retirement planning that, you know, we like to think about being smarter than the computer model. Because all the computer model does is spits out what you put in it. Yeah, I mean, it takes a bunch of assumptions. Like, you know, you put in inflation, right? So inflation is a hot topic. You put it in for 3%. Is it going to be 3% every single year for the rest of your life on the dot? Of course not. Right? So of course it, not. there's plenty of hypotheticals built into it. But. but one of the things that we do is you know, recognize in real life examples the go phase, the slow phase, and the, the no, no phase. phase. Yeah. <laughs> so let's be practical. You know, let's say you're retiring at age 62. The likelihood is, is now that that pesky thing called work is not getting in the way, you know, this is your opportunity to travel. Yep. And do all the things that you couldn't get a chance to do, yep. like golf in five days a week or something, you know, <laughs> like some people might. Who do I do that? Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. You know, go fishing, you know, go on vacation, travel. Travel, you know, And that's very common. And so that's expensive. Well, so that's, that's it can be. Yeah. So the reality of it is that, you know, you get all that out of your system, first of all, while you're young, while you're you physically able, and then you hit the period maybe in your 70s where, oh, all right, we're slowing down. Yep. Okay, you know, you're not physically, you kind of did all those things. Your, your knees, my back, you know, I'm tired. And, all. and you're slowing down. And then really, 
later on in life tendency, tends to be a lower, slower phase where what we do is we factor in higher costs of living during each of the, during the first 10 years, a little bit less in the next 10 years, and less yet. So that's just a little nuance that we add to when we're doing the retirement income modeling. Now, in that particular instance, they made it. I said, but time out. Let's figure this thing out a little bit. Because here they are with a pretty sizable IRA, okay, between the two of them, almost knocking on the door $2 million. Okay, $2 million can be a real problem as it pertains to taxation. If they did nothing and let that grow until they hit their required minimum distribution age, that $2 million is probably going to be closer to four, yep. at which point they're going to be having to take down $160,000 a year just in IRA distributions. Yep. Okay? And not only does that run the risk of putting them into higher income tax brackets, but it could also cause Social Security to become taxable, which raises the effective tax rate, Medicare, and then Medicare. We'll exactly. More expensive, yep. And this is what's also creeping up on folks, is now the income's causing Medicare premiums to go up. So one of the things that we suggested, in, or we do suggest or often suggest in cases like this, is, hey, why don't you live off your non-qualified assets? Okay, and if you remember the tax brackets that we've gone through, prior to Medicare, we're really looking at, for a married couple, roughly $110,000. You make up to $110,000, you're in a low tax bracket. From 110 to roughly 350, you're in a medium tax bracket. And above 350, you're in a high tax bracket. And quite frankly, medium is probably going to be less than what you're going to potentially be in retirement with a rising um, tax brackets and everything else like that. Yep. So in a situation like this, because of the fact that, that in this case they have a lot of non-qualified assets, we looked at it and said, hey, here's an opportunity to take your IRAs every year and just plow them and do Roth IRA conversion maximus. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so when we're doing massive Roth IRA com uh, con conversions, that's basically taking the IRA, pushing over to the Roth, paying taxes in today's rates, and then they grow on the tax-free side. And not only do they grow on the tax-free side, but they're not subject to required minimum distributions and therefore, they're not going to have an impact on Medicare premiums. Yep. So then also, if you pass and leave a giant amount of assets to your beneficiaries, they're not going to be in a position of having to come up with um, all of the, having to pay all the taxes on it. Absolutely. So, yeah. so then the other thing we did here is by having, and it just so happened coincidentally being five years apart, Rachel first becomes eligible to begin collecting Social Security at age 62. That's when we pull Dan's trigger, which not only that, but gives them all those years yep. to be converting, not to mention in a state where it's not taxing yep. the IRAs, which again, taking a look at where you are before, where you are after. So what it also does, it gives Dan the ability between ages 62 and 67 which is considered early retirement if you're collecting Social Security, that if you wanted to work part-time,
do consulting or stuff yeah. like that, he wouldn't be impacting his social security. Yep. So all this comes to head, but we're also taking a look at recognizing future taxation is really when you're looking at IRA assets or when you're looking at folks like this, you have multiple milestone uh, periods, okay, where Age 62 when someone's first eligible for Social Security. Age 65 when they're eligible for Medicare. Age 67 when it's full retirement age. Age 70 when, when Social Security reaches its max and doesn't grow anymore. Age 72 when you have required minimum distributions. And when you have two people that aren't the same age, then guess what? If you have five milestone dates, now you have 10. ten. Yep. And so that's where it gets to be really interesting planning. And this also became you know, these types of situations also become great estate planning cases because now you want to take a look at the, the retirement planning, the tax planning, and the estate planning because the kids are in their 20s. If both of them were to die, you're jamming them with a lot of assets. And that may not be a wise thing to be handing a kid, I call it kid, <laughs> in their 20s a couple million dollars. Yep. Because and telling you know, them that they have to take it all within 10 years and pay taxes on it. Well, there's that, but then there's also just the concept of, of just giving the 20 some years. Right, assets. because yeah, you know yeah, what? If they get divorced, it's not protected. If they have a lawsuit against them, it's not protected. And that's where you get into some of the estate planning where you can utilize trusts for the purpose of protecting the assets. And I love to say this, this gives the ability for you to control your kids long after you die. And everybody loves that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, that pretty much concludes this uh, particular case study. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add to it? One thing, you know, if we have the time to jump into it is, you know, you mentioned living off of their non-qualified assets, whether it's a brokerage account, what have you. So, you know, there's a, there's a significant period of time, five years, in between with which Dan is to retire at 62 and begin collecting Social Security, in which they're really living off these non-qualified assets. So is there a way with which you'd manage the money differently? Of that, course. Actually, yeah. that's a good point. So we didn't talk about the investment planning, but we are running out of time. Yep. So really, if you take a look at investment planning, you want to, uh, the single largest component of risk is time, okay? So Kyle brings up a good point, is we're living off of the non-qualified assets, which means we're burning through them, which means the time horizon of the non-qualified assets is much lower, which means that you're going to want to take a lesser amount of risk because fundamentally you never want to take money from an account when the account's down or from an investment. Yep. The account may be down, but you may have investments that are up. It's okay. You don't want to be taking uh, money withdrawals from investments or selling investments when they're down. Yep. So in the case we have the non-qualified assets that they're living on, uh, that is a very short time horizon for those assets. So we got to really pare back on risk. The IRA, we're converting to the Roth. So a portion of that every year is getting moved to the Roth. But then the Roth IRA is the account that the likelihood is, is we're not touching that for a while. Yep. So we could probably afford to take more risk. And once again, it all comes down to asset allocation and diversification, because if you build a portfolio properly, it's only gonna be on rare occasions that every component of that portfolio is down. Yeah. So anyway, that concludes our show today. Uh, I, I hope some of these uh, situations within uh, this case study 
this manufactured case study is <laughs> is applicable to you or to someone you know uh, and and can provoke some thoughts and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, I hope you learned something today and thank you very much for tuning in. Um, uh, thank you and, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Financial Planning Explained. Again, I am Mike Menninger, the host and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning and one of the associates is Kyle Ryan sitting to my right who is also a certified financial planner in our organization. Thank you very much. I hope you have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.